from the Draco Vista Studios in Phoenix, Arizona, unlocking secrets of writing, conversing with masters of the craft, and just having a lot of fun. It's the Dragon Page, cover to cover. And welcome, everyone, to another Dragon Page cover to cover. I'm Michael Armenengay. And from our Las Vegas studios, this is Michael Stackpole. Boy, we are just a major, major operation, aren't we? Absolutely. Studios all over the country. Media con... (laughs) Yeah, there we go. Media conglomerate is us. (laughs) Rupert Murdoch is just... Just trembling in his boots. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> no, it's uh, yeah, Mike's traveling, so he's on Skype this week. But um, we decided we had to do a show because this uh, topic, this this thing that's in the news, is getting uh, is getting a little old, and we didn't want to get it, let it get too much older before we had a chance to talk about it. Uh, if you have not seen this, um, there is. There's conversations about limiting the amount of views inside of ebooks. So when you download a v- an ebook, it will live for I think it's 12 readings was what I was re- what I was looking at. Um, right. And after 12 viewings, it no longer works for you. What a great concept this is, isn't it? Well, I think I think one. It's important to understand that that this concept primarily has the the push has been coming from uh, electronic publishers that are vending books to libraries. Yes, and it's uh, the libraries that are going to suffer for it. Yes. Well, and it's it's the libraries that are actually going to push back very very hard on this, um, simply because the um, here's here's where the publishers are being incredibly short sighted. Um, we all know that libraries, as well as parks and lots of other municipal things, because of the down economy, are undergoing budget cutbacks. What the publishers are thinking is that if we sell a book to a library, after 12 views of a conventional book, they probably would have had to buy a new copy. Uh, and so they would, they would obviously, they would have that new copy and they would be able to, um, and, and the publisher would get added revenue. So they want to perpetuate this wholly impractical situation. Um, and the reality is, is that with budget cutbacks, if the ebook expires, the the library isn't going to buy a new one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, there's another problem with this, and, and we see it in Arizona. I saw one librarian uh, talked about her situation in Southern California. If you live in Phoenix proper, the library systems of Phoenix and Scottsdale, I think Mesa and Tempe, all have got reciprocal agreements, as well as Maricopa County has a library. Uh, so so throughout, there are these uh, agreements where um, they can share books back and forth, and obviously any libraries in Phoenix are de facto in Maricopa County. The publishers want to restrict the territoriality of the lending of these books, such that you can't get them from other libraries except for the libraries where you are going to be served. Mm-hmm. Well, if I live in Scottsdale but I work in Phoenix and I want to stop by the Maricopa County Library or access their library to download the thing into my book, um, 
all of a sudden the contractual agreements that these ebook companies uh, want to put out there, uh, literally the libraries can't agree to them because their mandate to serve the people overrules those contracts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they, they just they they can't accept that. Um, so I think this is I, me personally. I think this is going to be an attempt by the publishers, and and one of two things will happen either. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna end up with a number of views uh, that is just ridiculously huge, such that very few books will ever fail, mm-hmm. or you will get the the thing blown out uh, altogether. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's what I'm thinking. The because because when it comes right down to it, the 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 thing that really ticks me off about this whole thing is that the publishers are looking at the end users, the end consumers as criminals up front that right. if you have a if you download an ebook by the very nature of you downloading that ebook you're going to post it on the web and share it with 10 million people and it's that that's not the way people are for the most part yes you have those few you have right. those people who will throw that thing up on BitTorrent and try and give it to everybody well that's happening sure. anyway whether or not whether or not the the, the book is being limited or not, sure. um, and and the people who are doing that definitely have the ways to crack it and get around the code. And no matter what kind of, of roadblocks you put in in way of it, they're going to figure out a way through it and still do that anyway. So yep. it's just the honest, legitimate reader and buyer, a consumer of these ebook materials that are the ones that are going to suffer for it. Uh, absolutely, I think I think one of the other things that we're we're looking at, which is which is really kind of interesting, and we've we've talked about this on previous shows. We talked about the fact that Barnes and Noble in February, when doing their stockholders report, said that on ebook sales they had hit their 2014 goals in the last quarter of 2010. Right. So this means that they were three to four years ahead now of where they. Had hoped to be, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it the, is, other, the other, it's exploding. Say, yeah, it's, it's exploding way faster than anyone in the industry expected it, except for us who have been saying that forever. But <laughs> right, the other thing, the other thing which was in the news uh, recently, since since last we re- we recorded, was that Random House agreed to the agency model. And just to recap for everybody, what the agency model is uh, is this that. Um, Ebook publishers can set their own price. They can set whatever price they want. And Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the iBook store will pay them uh, 70% of the revenue, uh, 70% of the cover price of that particular that particular product. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they get to set their own. And there usually there's a there's a clause in there. I know there's a clause in one of the contracts that if said book appears on the New York Times bestseller list, uh, all parties agree that there will be a 10 or 20 percent discount on the on the price of that title just to help move more copies of that. Mm-hmm. Well, Random House was is the world's largest commercial publisher, uh, part of the Heine Group out of Germany. And uh, they had spent a year after all the other big publishers, five of the big six publishers, had signed off on the agency model. Random House had taken a year to do the math to figure out that, yes, in fact, the agency model 
will make them more money uh, than than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they agreed to go with that. So now all of the publishers are on the same page um, in that regard, which means they've all done the same math. The math that you and I have been talking about on this show, um, and this is the math that is benefiting um, individual writers. And and one of the things that I, I, I want to point out, I've been tracking my own Amazon data, and what I'm seeing uh, is, uh, at least in my case, and I know from talking to different writers that I'm selling different numbers than other writers are. Some are selling a lot more, some are selling a lot less, but... December to January, January to February, and so far in March, um, what I'm watching on a monthly basis is a 10% increase in average sales per day on a month-by-month basis. Wow. Yeah. That's so, impressive. Yeah, exactly. So so if things continue at, you know, at this, and, and, and the nice thing is that, um, you know, we know that there is a big pool of readers out there who are looking for looking for content, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a question of being out there and being available. Um, and the problem with the big publishers is that they've been really bad at getting their backlists out there, and it is backlists that are selling. Exactly, and you and know, it all comes down to the same thing that we've been saying here forever. When it is that it's all about ease, uh, accessibility, and ease of of access. I mean, yep. how easily can the average consumer get a hold of the product that you're you're offering? And that 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 is as it gets easier, that number increases. And and yep. and we're seeing that we've seen that in across the board for years and years and years and years. That's just the way it works. And the internet has done that. It puts the power of of getting things easy in the hands of the consumers themselves. Absolutely, absolutely. And consumers are willing to pay for that ease. Yeah, they're willing to pay. To, you know, to get this stuff. You know, I mean, as much as everybody complains about BitTorrents and, and, and you can find it out on the Internet, the fact is the vast majority of people are not computer savvy enough to be able to find BitTorrents, right. to be able to load the BitTorrents down, to be able to figure out how to take that content that you pulled off the BitTorrent and toss it into your reader. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, I, and, and I know this because... I deal with customers who've downloaded products from me and I have to go through and help them, uh, you know, be able to put this onto their computers. Well, and Um, what I discover is even myself, I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I know how to do this stuff. I am computer savvy enough to do it. But guess what? I still buy a hell of a lot of stuff off iTunes just because it's, it's a pain in the butt to have to do it the other way. It's it's it, easier. It's easier. If I can, I'm surfing iTunes. There's a song I want, and I need ninety cents. Fine, click. You know, or a dollar right. forty nine, or whatever the number is. You know, it, as long as it's not price gouging to where it it, exactly. it it's it's it seems like it's too much to pay. And okay, I'll go through the pains of going the other direction, the illegal way of getting it. Right. But right. It, and and I'm not I'm not uncommon. Everybody's that way. Even the yep. people that know how to do it. If you're on, if you're if it's right there and the price is right, and you don't have to go through the pains of trying to 
download something and convert it and move it to a file and rename it and put the new tags on it, yada, yada, yada. It's it's just easier. And ease yes. is everything. As long as it's easy to do, everybody will go that route. As, as you and I have, have noted, piracy exists when the perceived value of something is much lower than the asking price for it. Exactly. Exactly. You know? So, you know, five bucks for a novel? Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Big deal. You know? Five bucks? I got five bucks for a novel. Boom. Click. It's done. I go. don't have to go through any BS in order to make it, to get it down and read it. You know? Exactly. A song, 99 cents? No problem. 99 cents. That's a heck of a lot better than me surfing for an hour and trying to convert a file. You know, yep. it, it, it's ease of uh, access. That's all it is. Yeah. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Well, we've got a great interview, and unfortunately, we're yep. going to be we're going to be cutting into his time here if we don't get to going. So, uh, just, Alrighty. we're going to take a quick break. Justin Gustinus is going to join us and tell us all about the exciting things he's got going on. Be right back. Optimal health is more than eating right. You figure out, okay, here's what I'm allowing myself, calories, carbs, protein, and you spread it out. That way your body can actually absorb the nutrition properly, mm-hmm. and it can it can work in your favor because it's going to help you prevent muscle loss. Good nutrition and the right exercise are the things that affect us all. Yes, the let's talk fat. about back fat today. In fact, we could just title this episode Back Fat. Join Romy Nelson, Ingredients for Life. Visit RomyNelson.com. And welcome back to more Dragon Page Cover to Cover. I'm Michael R. Menengay. And I am Michael Stackpole. Living the high life in Las Vegas. Yes, calling from our or here from our from our lavish uh, Las Vegas studio. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and joining us on the phone, we have Justin Gustinus. He has uh, edited a new collection just out from Edge Sci-Fi. Uh, for those uh, those who fight monsters is the name of the book uh, containing occult detective stories. Sounds fascinating. Welcome to the show, Justin. Hi, how are you doing? Not too bad. Well, we've had you on the show a few times. It's nice to have you back. Thanks for uh, joining us again to talk about this uh, new thing that you're doing. So I'll throw it to you. Tell us what you've done. <laughs> okay, well, this anthology, um, which, as you said, is called Those Who Fight Monsters, is based on an idea that I had. Um, there are a lot of people who are writing series novels in urban fantasy. And I had the idea that if I asked some of those people to write short stories um, featuring the character that they have in their series novels, that a lot of people want to buy the book because if you're a fan of, of even one author badly enough, you'll buy a book with a story just to get that author's story, it seems to me. And so the idea was that with all of these people with all big fan bases, and I was careful to choose people with big fan bases, <laughs> um, that uh, the book would be popular because it would attract people who were fans of each of the different authors. 
And uh, I was really pleased that a lot of people who are pretty big name writers um, said yes, instead of saying, who the heck are you? Which is what I expected in a few cases. But everybody was very nice, except for, well, we don't have to talk about her. (laughs) Dishing the dirt already. One name writer I never got to talk to, one of her people told me that uh, she doesn't do this kind of thing. Oh. Uh. Um, but even the other people who had to turn me down were very nice about it. And uh, and I got, as you can, can see from, from looking at the book, uh, a lot of people who are pretty well-known in urban fantasy circles. Well, why, uh, why, don't you, why don't you go ahead and give us a list of, uh, of just some of the people that you've got in, in there since, since this is audio. So paint, paint that picture. Okay, well... Um, Kate uh, Kate Connor from Julie Kenner's series. She's the demon hunting soccer mom. Uh, John Taylor, the private eye from the night side by Simon R. Green. A little of Saint Crow's uh, demon killer Jill Kismet is in there. Uh, Marla Mason, who was in a series of novels by T. A. Pratt, uh, has a story in there. Tanya Huff has been writing a, sor- a series the last few years called Smoke and Shadows. Mm-hmm. It's about a guy who's a, um, who's a production assistant on a TV show who's also a wizard. Well, she contributed a story about him. Good. And uh, Jackie Kessler wrote one about her succubus character, uh, Jezebel, which has been very popular. Excellent. Wow, that's uh, yes, that's that's a good that's a good good little lineup right there. Yeah, and I even have a story in there. He got in because I'm tight with the editor. <laughs> well, yeah, there you, you'll probably sleep with him. Um, <laughs> okay, we'll cut that joke out. No, I'm <laughs> very nice, very nice. So, putting a compilation like this together, uh, obviously, it's uh, it's time consuming, but it had to have been a lot of fun. It was when it wasn't aggravating. Um, one of the things I was most worried about that did not really happen was, I mean, I had to edit these stories. I didn't just, you know, take everything that came in and, and automatically say, okay, that's fine. I edited each of the stories, and I learned how to do that at the Odyssey Writing Workshop. Um, and in some cases, the editing involved like three or four words, and in some other instances, it involved rather more. And I was waiting for somebody, because all of these people have got four, five, six books in print, to, to tell me, who the heck are you? You know, when I say, well, no, I think we should get rid of this paragraph or maybe move this other thing further down here. I think it would work. I kept waiting for somebody to get all, you know, uh, big deal uh, urban fantasy writer on me. But nobody did. Well, that's not one cool. person said, uh, okay, I'm not going to take editing from you because I've got more books in print than you do, pal. Uh, everybody was very, very professional, very constructive. Of course, I tried to be very constructive myself. I tried to avoid writing stuff like "This really sucks" in the margins. Uh, I thought that probably wouldn't help. <laughs> no, no, that, that can that can set writers off. Yeah, they tried. Uh, they taught us not to do that at Odyssey. So, there you go. Uh, I yeah. like the diplomatic way of doing things. There you go. That's good. Well, it, it sounds like a fantastic uh, little compilation, and I can't wait to uh, 
uh, take a closer look at it. But uh, you've got a ton of other things going on. And before we run out of time, I want to give you a chance to talk about it because uh, you do have Sympathy for the Devil, which is coming out. And uh, I want you to talk about that because that's very yes, cool. long last. Yes, very long last. That's awesome. Um, You're getting in George yeah, R. R. Martin territory here for us now. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it's because my publisher got sold. Um, Solaris Books was uh, was sold by its parent company and it was in limbo for quite a while and then even when it got sold uh i had to renegotiate my contract blah 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 so that's that's the reason it's their fault not mine darn it that's my story and i'm sticking to it <laughs> yeah. um so sympathy of the devil for the devil is the third in the uh adventures of quincy morris and libby chastain quincy morris being a direct descendant of the texan who helped kill dracula Right. Justine being a practitioner of white magic. And in this case, uh, they've come upon a presidential candidate who is secretly possessed by a demon. Okay. Oh, wow. And any resemblance to uh, politicians, past or present, uh, is entirely coincidental and unintended, and that also was my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, but uh, so the idea is they find out that this guy who's running for president is possessed by a demon. And, you know, what do you do about that? I mean, realistically speaking, um, uh, the U.S. Secret Service would probably discourage you from tying him to a chair and performing an exorcism, you know. Maybe. Uh, and so, it, 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 so it poses a very tricky problem of how do you how do you do something that nobody would believe the necessity for in the first place? Uh, they'd probably lock you up in an asylum. They said, I think, I think this guy here is possessed by, yeah, sure, we've heard it before. Um, so there's that, and um, uh, that's going to be out at the end of July from Solaris Books in uh, mass market paperback. And um, I've also been working with another publisher, Angry Robot Books, which is another British company, and uh, I've, I've started a new series with them, the first book of which will also be out in July. In fact, it, they're supposed to premiere both on the same day, July 26th. Oh, wow. Totally coincidental. Um, so I'm going to be doing press for, for two books uh, at the same time, which is, which, is, which is a burden I'm happy to bear. Let's put it that way. That's okay? a, it's a good one, a good one uh, to have, definitely. Yeah, the the other book is, and I think I mentioned this when I was on last time, it's set in Scranton, Pennsylvania, but it's an alternate Scranton. It's a universe where supernatural creatures are existing and everybody knows they exist. Um, and so my protagonist is a cop on the occult crime squad of the Scranton Police Department in this alternate universe where uh, you arrest vampires on a regular basis, you have to check werewolves for, you know, for uh, concealed weapons and all that kind of stuff. And so it's called Hard Spell, and that's due out at the end of July as well from Angry Robot Books. My protagonist's name is Stan Markowski. Um, Scranton's got a, a very big Polish population. In fact, the whole area does. Um, and uh, Stan Markowski is my protagonist, and he's a detective sergeant in the Scranton Police Department. Very cool. Yeah, interesting. Now, take us back for a second to to having to deal with uh, sympathy for the devil and and the the problem with um, you know Solaris being sold. And can you just sort of um, sort of walk us through uh, you know what I guess what went through your mind when you heard that the thing was sold and 
how you looked at the potential delays and, and what decisions you made to keep your career going when, you know, you hit this you hit this roadblock, which is totally out of your control and, and not something you really, uh, you know, come to expect. What 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 did you think about doing and, and approaching stuff uh, to keep things moving forward? Well, fortunately, I had the other series that I was just starting. I'd already made my deal with Angry Robot Books uh, before I got the news about Solaris. So at least I still had something on my plate, uh, even while the other thing wasn't. But, the, yeah, the problem was it was so uncertain. I had no idea if they would find, when they would find a buyer or if they would. It was possible right. that nobody would offer to buy them. In fact, I, I asked one of the people there, well, what happens if you don't find a buyer? He said, well, if we don't find a buyer within, I think he said, a year, uh, we're simply going to cut everybody loose. Uh, we will abolish all your contracts. You can take your stuff anywhere you want to. Um, and I thought, great, terrific. But in about six months, they were, uh, they were picked up by um, Rebellion, which is a company that's best known for video games. Okay. But uh, Rebellion wanted to have a, uh, a fiction book imprint. And, um, and Solaris used to be part of Games Workshop, which, of course, specializes in tabletop role-playing games. Sure. So... This, you know, but in both instances, the the owner is somebody who's into uh, is into gaming. Except in this case, the gaming is played on your TV, right. and um, so I had to wait six months, more or less. Uh, in fact, and this was not the fault of somebody at Solaris. There was a screw up. Okay, I read about the sale online. Hmm. Um, they were going to call me but it leaked. The story leaked, and some guy put it in his blog, and then somebody else did. And so I saw it the day before Solaris was going to contact all the writers and let them know what was going on. So it was quite a shock. You know, it was like 11 o'clock at night, and I'm taking one more quick look at the Internet before I go to bed, and all of a sudden I see this, and I didn't go to bed for a while. (laughs) (laughs) I bet not. Um, Yeah. So about six months it took for them to find the buyer, but then I had to renegotiate all my contracts, or my contract, right. I only had the one, um, because I hadn't finalized the contract for Sympathy for the Devil before the sale. Got it. We were almost there. Apparently, we were just a, there was just two more things my agent had to negotiate, and we would have been fine. And who knew, you know, if we'd right. known this was coming, uh, we would have moved faster, but... So I had to wait for them to get all geared up again, and then we had to negotiate my contract again, and blah, 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 blah. And, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm late with the manuscript. Um, but other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. It's, it sounds like that was a, you, you've had quite the, uh, the little uh, up-and-down roller coaster ride with this whole, whole process. Yeah, it was it was quite the experience, um, and I wondered what I was going to do if they didn't find a buyer. Uh, I didn't know who'd be interested in picking up the third book in a series when they hadn't published the first two. Right. You know, but uh, anyway, as I said, I also had the other I, the other series starting, 
Yeah, let's so let's talk about that for a little bit because uh, that's that's uh, it, it sounds interesting that you uh, had this other project going at the same time. And now, if I understand right, this was uh, Angry Robot is a Harper Collins imprint, but this is not anymore. Not anymore. In no, fact, no. In fact, they uh, they cut themselves loose from Harper Collins and were picked up by Osprey. Right. I actually, I I was just talking to one of Osprey's uh, one of Osprey's guys because I'm here at the uh, at the game manufacturers trade uh, show in Las Vegas, and so I had a long conversation with them yesterday about uh, about they and they did mention that they had just picked up this science fiction imprint, so they're hmm. quite enthused about it. Yeah, and when I got the word that uh, that Angry Robot was leaving HarperCollins, I thought, oh no. Not again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but fortunately, in the same email that they told me they were leaving HarperCollins, they told me that they'd also reached an agreement with Osprey and that, you know, we were all still in business. Excellent. Uh, Very good. You know, so, uh, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that, was, that was interesting as well. I didn't realize there was so much uncertainty in the publishing world. Uh, I thought all the uncertainty was before they accepted your book. Uh, no, um, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's like, it's like going from the amateur tour to the pro tour, um, <laughs> you know, it's a different, different drama, just more money. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that's always the yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. So now you have a, you have a tour coming up, uh, here fairly soon. Do you have any idea where you're, you're going to be? Uh, my tour will be virtual. Ah, um, I'm gotcha. doing a series. I'm doing a, a, a blog tour. Uh, I have learned that I don't really have a big enough of a fan base uh, in most around here, which is north, upstate New York, uh, that people in large numbers are going to flock to 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 see me. If I were in New York City, I might get a decent crowd, but then it might not even you know the expenses of just getting to New York City might be more than I'd make off the the royalties for the the signing, but um, you know, with the, with the first Quincy Morris book, my the publisher set up a signing at a um, at uh, a Borders back when you know there were Borders mm-hmm. um, uh, in Burlington, and it was on a the day they were having this big festival, you know, and they think a lot of people are going to be around, and there were there were lots of people around, and not a single one of them came to see me. I know that Borders because I grew up in Burlington. Okay, it's the one in the Church Street Marketplace. Yep. 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 Yeah, what if they gave a book sending and nobody came? Well, I can tell you what that's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, when I when I've done signings in Burlington, it's it's always at the uh, Barnes and Noble, uh, never at the downtown Borders. Yeah, that's a much better store, uh, much yeah. bigger. And yeah, frankly, when I do my shopping for books, I do it at Barnes and Noble. They have a great Barnes and Noble there. Well, yeah. excellent, excellent. I tell you. Well, thank you so much, Justin, for being with us today. Unfortunately, we're completely out of time. But well, it was uh, a pleasure to be here. It always is. Not, Hope I can come back again sometime. Not uh, a I'm problem. Sure. Oh, I'm I'm sure <laughs> we'll have you back on soon. <laughs> Stay away from the slots; they're money eaters. <laughs> no, actually, I'm I'm right currently up 120 dollars uh, for this trip, so I'm kind of happy. Awesome. Okay, if you stop now, you're ahead. Well, that's <laughs> that's what not, I'm looking get at. It all back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back after this.
Take your Gmail account to the next level with the Gmail podcast. The Gmail podcast will make you more proficient and teach you features about Gmail you may not have known. In just a few minutes, you'll learn tips and tricks that'll help you stay organized using Gmail. If you don't yet have a Gmail account, log on right now to chuckchat.com and let us know. We'll be happy to send you an invite. Get the most out of your Gmail account with the Gmail podcast available at chuckchat.com. You've got Gmail. All right, wrapping things up here. We probably ought to say hi to Mike. What the heck are you doing there in Vegas? <laughs> well, aside from winning its slots. Um, <laughs> oh, there you go. So yeah, you're all just, rich and stuff, and you can come back and, and buy us things, right? <laughs> well, okay. I, I, I probably actually pulled enough out of the slots that I can afford to drive over to the studio when I get back. <laughs> that's good. Um, okay, yeah. So that's that's a – look, any money you're ahead in Vegas is, is money you're ahead in Vegas. That's um, right. But I am uh, I am at the uh, Game Manufacturers Trade Show, which is for the uh, for the board game and card game and role playing game industry. is um, It's where uh, all the manufacturers come in and they get to show off to the retailers uh, all the brand new products they've got coming out through the year and all the things they're going to do with tournaments and you know all the benefits they're going to have. So it's. Uh, it's like walking through. It's sort of like walking through a game catalog hmm. um, with just all the new, uh, all the new games, and uh, and just watching all these cool creative projects coming together. It is just a lot of fun, and you end up learning a lot. And uh, and and the good news for the gaming industry is that this year's show is a lot more robust than it's been. Um, you know, last year uh, we're probably going to end up having twice as many retailers on site checking out product as we had last year. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so for the gaming industry, this is a big plus because it shows that uh, a lot of the stores um, are healthy. And we also, we, we had a program on uh, on Tuesday morning, the first morning of the show, starting at 8 in the morning. It was a, a series of programs for brand-new store owners. Starting at 8 in the morning, we had 45 uh, people in that room just learning how to set up game stores or how to make you know their stores run better, um, and so again, that's a fairly fairly robust little number mm-hmm. uh, for the industry. So, so we're all very happy here. That sounds happy, happy, happy. sounds cool. I'm sure we're going to have more yes. about that on next week's show when Absolutely. we have a chance. But uh, yeah, we're completely out of time here. We gotta we gotta get rolling here. So, okay, and, I'm, and I'm here in a slot machine calling my name. So. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. <laughs> those those free drinks and slot slot machines are a big big draw. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back again next week with even more. But uh, yeah, keep those ebooks going because it's going to be an interesting ride. Uh, we just keep on top of it as much as we can. You know the websites, dragonpage.com. You know the numbers, 206-350-READ. That's 206-350-7323 if you'd like to contribute. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.